Hey everybody, hope everybody out there is having a good day, good New Year's. Uh, this podcast episode will be dropping January 9th, so now we are in 2023. And I have on me with the amazing Tina Gooding, and I'm going to let her give us a little quick intro about herself. So take it away, Tina. Hello everybody. I uh, hope everybody had a good holiday. So my name is Tina. I um, am a retired law enforcement officer of 26 and a half years. I just retired in June of this last year, so newly retired. Um, and I also teach currently a female officer survival school um, that has had attendees from five different states, uh, federal and local and state law enforcement agencies that come from around the country. That's awesome. So I guess let's go into that a little bit. What is your female is FOSS, so female officer survival training. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I started that in, back in 2011. And when I started it, um, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Officers Association was like the beneficiary of the class. So the class was only like $150 for officers to attend. And the, all the funds went to the South Carolina Law Enforcement Officer Association for like call on officer funds or, or funds where officers come into hard times and all of the instructors agencies just that was part of their job um, mm-hmm. was to teach this class and we taught it all over the state and different departments would sponsor us to come teach at their location which was awesome except for some some agencies idea of a good range is not actually a good range um, and so we ended up running into issues where there was no bathrooms Um, or no like cover, like you were just exposed the whole time. And the first, it started off as a two day class and then the attendees wanted more. So we added a second phase that was also two days. And then we added a third phase. It was also two days. Um, but when I started to, um, work on my retirement plans, um, I realized that it didn't make any sense for me to retire and not um, use the skills that I had. So, um, we ended up rebranding it and I started my own business called Fortis Tactical. And now it's a three-day class and all the phases are in those three days. So we just took all of the best. And now we teach it at a place called the Sawmill Tactical Training Center, which is in Lawrence, South Carolina, and everything is there. We have ranges, like 30 ranges. We have, um, a place to do DT. We have a classroom, there's also lodging on site so the officers can stay there, um, which we found had some attendees come to the first trainings and then now they've come back to this one that's redone. And they said just the ability for the officers to be able to bond, being able to stay there, eat together um, was just a different level. So um, so they said that was they liked it better. So that's good. Yeah, I can see how lodging together and you're eating together and you kind of get to build that bond over this. It's three days now three you days said? yeah mm-hmm. one two think like if you go to a training like that morning of like you don't know anybody you're like really nervous you're like Ugh, i don't want to be here um but now they get to meet each other the night before because they all come in to stay so they come in the day of training and they're just like super relaxed and super ready to learn and so that's pretty cool to see too that's awesome and uh for listeners out there we'll make sure we post website and all of tina's Instagrams, Facebooks, and ways that you can find her classes. We'll post that in the, uh, it'll be on Instagram and Facebook. And then I'll also make sure that it's on the podcast notes. So all this that we're talking about will be out there for awesome. you guys to access. Okay. So with going back a little bit, cause we just talked about what you're doing now, but back 26 years ago, what made you want to get into law enforcement? I wish it was something that was like, I don't, I don't know. Well, I think it's changed too. When I first did it, it was almost like, oh, I'm going to go be the police. I had no idea. I was 21 years old. I didn't know like what this job was about. Um, And so at the time it was just like, hey, let's do something fun. But then the older I got, the more I realized it really stemmed from um, my mother was extremely mentally ill and, um, seeing her interact with law enforcement and usually it was not a very good interaction, not, not Mm. on, not on their fault. It was just, they just didn't know how to deal with her. Um, and so realizing that later that that's probably one of the drives, she ended up passing away from, um, uh, an over drug overdose. Um, and so 
some of those things, I think, I think every, I think there's research out there. Don't, I don't know what it is, but I think there's research out there that says that like most cops have been through some kind of trauma in their life, which is what drove yeah. them to trying to help people. Um, and so that's the same for me. So it was, it was really ended up being that, but um, I grew up in the city of Casey, which is a little suburb outside of Columbia. And that's where I started my career. They, um, at that police department, they didn't have any women um, females on the road. So you know, when I came there, like, oh, you're a girl, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I probably I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. <laughs> so with your, you said your mom, I won't, you don't have to give any personal information, but do you think that part of your life carried over into law enforcement, like dealing with people day to day that also had mental illness? Do you think that affected how you worked with them on the road? Absolutely. I think, well, I think it was kind of, it's, it's funny because I think it was both ways. Like there was some, some things that I was very not patient with because I was like, mm-hmm. how dare you, you know, think these things when you've never been through anything in your life kind of thing. Like I, I was a little bit, you know, crass that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then there was also, yes, when I would deal with someone who was having a crisis, I feel like I was probably a little bit more comfortable. Um, but that also can lead to some other things. Like, so, you know, sometimes I probably put myself in a situation that I didn't need to be in. Um, because me feeling like, oh, I can handle this, you know, they're just like my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, it would probably officer safety tactics weren't as good as they should have been. Um, I mean, I, I never got hurt, so that's positive, but I, looking back, I think, but I think that's part of this journey too, is like being self-aware and looking at how you're, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah. I think with law enforcement, definitely as the years go on and it's probably healthy every year to do a self-evaluation just to kind of see where you've changed and what you've done negatively in the past. Or like you said, realizing, Hey, the way I handled that probably was a big officer safety issue. And I think officers have to be able to self-evaluate ourselves more critically sometimes. So we don't continue to put ourselves in those uh, situations like that and to probably be self-aware of your to be self-aware and know that that's your weak, not like a weakness, but that's something you may put yourself in a bad situation. So, um, let's see. Okay. So let's hear the next question. Cut that little bit out right there. But, um, so yeah, we've talked about your class FOSS. So let's do, we'll go that way real quick. Where do you see that taking off in the next five to 10 years? Um, well, um, I hope, um, there's, so, you know, building on some things. So the FOSS class really wasn't my idea. Um, a friend of mine who runs a sheriff's department, their training unit, um, in the Midlands of South Carolina called me and said, will you make a class for all women? And I was like, no, that sounds horrible. I mean, I mean, to be honest, I was like, God, why would I do that? You know, and I think, I think we are conditioned as women to the last thing we want to recognize is the fact that we're a woman in law enforcement. No, you're a cop. You're not a woman. You're a cop. And so the idea, that idea in my, I was like, Oh God, no. And he was like, no, I really think you need to do it. And so obviously it's not, not now where it was then we've come a long way, but you know, finding female instructors that have, you know, firearms experience, defensive tactics experience, that was hard. Um, obviously, and the ability to teach, not you can be really good at something, but it doesn't mean you can teach it. Um, and trying to figure out what I wanted it to be. What did I want it to feel like, like the heartbeat of the class that I want it to be, you know, it started out really, it was just pushing them. And it was like, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, it was pushing them that way. And it's really grown into more, a lot more than that. It's grown into a class we talk about our struggles personally, but we also talk about law enforcement struggles and um, what that looks like, you know, suicide, um, alcoholism, mental illness. um, And it gives them a platform that they can ask questions. But also I think, you know, if you've ever gone to a class and you're the only girl in the class, you're not going to ask questions because you don't look stupid. You're you're not going to say anything. You're not going to stand out. Like you just disappear. And the, this, this, arena gives them the the chance to say ask the questions they maybe always wanted to um but also say hey if this happened to me you know then give like a scenario am i being dramatic or is that like not okay and Mm -hmm. you know it gives them so it's a lot 
grown a lot bigger to be more that than just three days of shooting and fighting, which is what it started out as. Um, and I and I carry that with an, on a high honor. Like I'm totally just like I'm like, why am I doing this? You know, like why is why am I on this platform? And realizing and 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 staying humble, but also realizing, well, I have. I have skills, you know, I'm not an expert in anything, but I am an expert in being a woman. I've been one on my whole life. And so being able to say and study, you know, how we process things, how we learn, um, but also share my own experiences with, um, you know, sexual harassment um, in the workplace, you know, what that looks like, but also how we can be sitting at the table. We are our own worst enemies and women have a tendency to react um, to situations, and usually what ends up happening is we get mad, we, then we cry because we're mad, and then we get mad that we cried, and then we're now questioning like everything that we've ever done. We're like, I suck at life, and I'm the worst police officer or supervisor, and so we we do that to ourselves. And so if I can give them skills to not do that, um, then I want to do that because I want them, I want her to be more. You know, there's only 11 percent women in law enforcement right now, mm-hmm. and I want that number to be higher. I want there to be more chiefs, more sheriffs. You know, we only have one female sheriff in the state of South Carolina. She just got elected last term. Um, and as far as chiefs of police, there's only four in our state. Um, and I want there to be more. I mean, our voice does matter and we do, we have lots of ideas and we have a different skill set that I think, um, but if you don't see those people at the top and you don't have anybody to ask those questions to, you're probably not going to respond because it's got to be strategic. Um, you got to learn how to play the game. Um, and that takes skill just like shooting. Yeah. I think, I think when you're talking about uh, going back just a little bit, when you're talking about, you know, suicide and alcoholism, I think that's something we're starting to see a turn in, in law enforcement is acknowledging that it is an issue and something that we've got to start working on just like your class. Now, hopefully, now that those women have all sat around and discussed, you know, felt comfortable to discuss maybe situations they've been in or things that they've done that's not, they're not the proudest of. And to be able to maybe have that connection of someone, hey, you know, let me call Tiffany from Tina's class and just run this by her. Like, I'm really struggling with this. You know, now we're building that support group amongst each other. And I think that's awesome and what we're going to have to do because like you were saying too, we're also our own worst enemies. Because I think you see time and time again that women will step on other women to get over, like, I mean, it happens all the time, but I think as women in law enforcement, we're very quick to say, like, we don't want to associate with her because she, you know, she does stuff weird and the other guys think she's a liability. So I'm not going to associate myself with her because she makes us all look like bad female cops. Right. And I think we see a lot of that. And I think the system is set up to do that to us too. Like there's only one woman on a shift. There's only, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm it's set up for us to not be able to have relationships with the other women at our departments. Um, and that, you know, breaking down those barriers is really important. Um, I've had girls come to the class who've worked together and they came and they hated each other. Um, and by the time they left, they realized, like you said, that there was some, there was some males at their department that were like, she sucks and she's dangerous and she's, and she has no officer safety skills. And so there was all of this. And so that's exactly what happened. She's like, oh, I'm going to stay away from her. But then they came and they fight together and they see each other training and they're like, wait a minute, she's, she's actually really good. Um, and so now they are able, and I don't think the guys do it on purpose. Does that make sense? I don't think they do it on purpose. Yeah, I think it's like an unconscious thing they do because I think we also, just going to why it's unconscious, like something they don't realize they're doing. So there's definitely times where my male people, my male guys I work with, they'll feel more protective over me because I am a female. And I think that's just a natural instinct for them. You know, they seem more upset when we have use of force situations and they're like, why is a man even bowing up as at a woman? Like, that's just not how we were raised. So I think for them, it's an unconscious thing they do to not want, like they don't even realize they're doing it half the time. They don't. And it's also like too, you know, when we talk about women in law enforcement, I think it's just giving permission. Like I think sometimes as a woman, you're like, oh, I screwed that up. But then somebody else going, no, you you didn't. You didn't screw that up. And them going, oh, I didn't. Um, and for example, like when you talk about like the use of force issue, you know, if we come in and we talk them down, it's like a negative. It's like, oh, well, they don't fight you just because you're a girl. 
no, they didn't fight me because I'm good at what I'm doing. And, but we don't have the confidence to say that. Um, and so taking, but law enforcement does that all the time. We take good things and we make them bad. Like that's a culture loss. Like just, we do that all the time. You know, community policing was supposed to be good. And now you say community policing. People are like, oh my God, stupid community policing. Like we take something that's supposed to be good and we turn it bad. Um, and so trying to rewire those signals a little bit in our brain. Um, but it takes somebody, you know, that's been in it a while to say, no, you didn't mess that up. It was fine. Um, mm-hmm. And then everybody else is like, oh, so. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think too, you're talking about the only 11% of women make up law enforcement. I think some of those issues we see will maybe start to minimize themselves with more women in law enforcement. It's right now, there's only a few of us. And so these, you know, you can't, like we said, we're not blaming male officers. It's if you, some of them probably don't even work with female officers in some of these smaller departments. They probably don't have a single female officer on their shift. So when they see other agencies with female officers, they're probably like, how does that guy work with her? Like, like I would be worried that she's going to get herself hurt. And so they've never had to work with someone, work with a female. And so I think the, the higher we see this number, hopefully some of these issues and stigmatisms with female law enforcement officers will start to work itself out essentially does that make sense absolutely yeah, yeah. and you see it on the like the facebook pages all the time where uh a, a guy will be like you know i have this officer on my shift that they're a pain in my butt or whatever and it's like but she's a girl and so i don't know how to talk to her it's like oh well, you just talk to her the same way you would she told her to stop being a pain in your butt <laughs> yeah um and so but they then a lot of them will say i've never worked with a female or this is the first time we've ever had a female officer get pregnant like, what are we supposed to do with that? You know, like, so there's a lot of things that, that, you know, that we do that are different. I mean, we're different, right? Our bodies are yeah. different. Our brains are different. We think differently. We make decisions differently. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But because they don't think like us, it's hard for them to understand. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's a good thing because you go in different scenes and we all know every scene's different. Every scene's dynamically changing. And to have different perspectives, even with not just women and male, but just everybody across the board, it's nice to have everybody there with a different walk of life because they may be able to handle a situation, even though it's your call and you weren't going to be able to handle it. You mean, you could have handled it, but the outcome may have been different. And then someone shows up and they've walked that a similar path to that person and they're able to sit down and talk to them. So I think as law enforcement, just realizing it's great that we have everybody here that's walked different pass a lives before they got here to law enforcement to help like to handle these situations um and even if they haven't you know that's one of the things we do as cops too it's like well they don't know they need to get punched in the face they've never been in a fight you know and and so we say that and it's like well or we just need to teach them you know we mm-hmm. unfortunately don't spend a lot of time you know training and teaching because we just don't have the time or the budget or the time because everybody's short so they don't want to come in on their day off and so we mm-hmm. struggle i think as a profession with just te- they they're not going to know unless they get taught um but also creating a space where they can they can fail um and it's not the end of the world you know nobody's dying you're not going to get fired you made a mistake um mm-hmm. and i think is also really important and i think that's why frost is so important because they you know like if they do something i don't I'm not yelling at them i don't maybe maybe they did it and i'm like oh well i never thought of that let's see if that works or mm-hmm. you know like there's not it's them learning and to learn you have to be relaxed you can't be all tensed yeah. up you're not gonna you're not gonna retain any of that information and i think we create that tense environment so much when we're training and it's not doesn't need to be it's not gonna be unsafe like it still needs to be safe but the environment that you can mess up and it's okay and you're not gonna yeah. be yelled at or demeaned or you know belittled um, yeah like you're saying i think training is the best place to make mistakes because it's a safe environment. So now we can say, Hey, let's not do that in the real world because this is X, Y, Z could happen. And so that may stick with them. You know, that's going to stick with them more than, than learning it in the real world. And they're not able to come back and discuss the mistakes they made. So I think that's why training, like you said, it's important that we look at it as a time to make mistakes and a time to learn from those mistakes in a safe environment. Um, Yeah. And I think too, like you said, you get some training where everybody's so, on level 100 and you're just like, okay, well, I'm trying to learn the basics, but everybody's already amped up and that can be really annoying. Cause you're like, well, we're not learning anything except for how to 
just be 100 about everything and stressed and overstimulated where we're not retaining anything either. So or we're checking a box. Like you're like, yeah. oh, that was fun. You know, like I didn't learn anything. Um, and so then we get that negative bias against training. And so we go in already like, this is stupid. Um, and so then we also don't learn anything. So it's kind of rewiring and resetting all that stuff. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head right now with training is everybody's short, so no one wants to come in on their off days to do anything. So it's hard to have a positive attitude going in when you're like, okay, well, you know, this is my only eighth day off this month, and here I am back at this place doing this. So um, it's no fault. Could have been an email or, oh. <laughs> or something, you know. <laughs> oh my goodness, I can't tell you how many times people are like that could have just been an email. And I'm like, well, would you have read it? Probably not. <laughs> no. No. You would have probably deleted that email and not even read it. Then you'd have been mad that you didn't know that was even happening. But Fair. So the comment I love that you made was, when we're mad, we cry. And then, we cry, we're, then we're mad because we cried. So going into that, how do you deal with certain stigmatism that women face in law enforcement? How have you personally, what are ones that you've experienced, and then how did you handle those? I... Um, didn't really know that it was bad because I was the only woman. Does that make sense? So I, mm-hmm. I didn't have any reference. But what happened to, to me was I ended up turning into the other, like the worst. Like I yelled all the time um, because what just, I realized they weren't, they wouldn't listen to me unless I was yelling. And mm-hmm. there's the other you know people in my police department. But if I yelled, well, they listened. They're like, oh. Tina's upset. We better listen to her, you know, or just, you know, shut up for a second, really. Um, and that became my go-to. That became who I was. That became, and and really the people around me enabled that for a long time because because I would yell a lot. Like, I didn't want to get yelled at. And so it was turned into, well, Tina's just passionate. No, I was really just a bitch. Um, and I... Because of my personality, it was not about the people. It was about the mission. Like, well, mm-hmm. got to get this mission done. I don't care about your feelings. Um, you know, go do your job and shut the fuck up, basically. And that's how I supervised for a long time. Um, and, it, I mean, they're going to stay because it's their job and they're going to do it. But what happened for me is I had to realize that, yeah, I wanted to be successful. But if you're successful and you're the only person there, and there's nobody around you, how successful are you really? Um, if you yeah. just push everybody else out of your way, which is what basically what I was doing. Get out of my way so I can do my thing and be better than you. But that's what I thought I had to do. I didn't have anybody tell me early on, like, you don't have to do those things. Um, and so I realized it was in actually in 2011 when I went to a training and did a 360 survey of people who worked for me. Um and they was an anonymous survey, and when they answered, the, the answers were not nice. Um, they did not like me at all. Um, I had people that would say if they had to come work for me, they would quit. Um, and it and it hurt. Um, it hurt my ego. It hurt. <laughs> I mean, it sucked. Um, and so I had to be honest with myself and say, like, okay, like I, what am I going to do about? I'm going to know it now. I know this. But now what am I going to do? Am I just going to stick my head in the sand and just say, well, they're all stupid and carry on? I mean, I could do that, but that's not really what I want to do. Um, and I even had, like, my supervisor at the time was like, yeah, we've gotten some people say, like, if you got promoted, they would leave. And I, and I even I would catch myself, well, how many said it? Because if it was only, like, one or two, then I'd be like, well, that's not really a problem. Um, and he was like, oh, about 15. I'm like, oh, that's a lot. Um, and so I started to realize and I changed like my mantra to the other people matter and realize that I can't do my job if I don't have people there to do their job Mm -hmm. because if they're not there then I have to do their job and my job and that's dumb Um, and it took about a year for people to trust me again and realize I wasn't going to yell or scream or um, Mm -hmm. and it was really funny because we'd have new officers come in and their FGAs would be like, oh, you've done this a year ago? She'd have been all up in your ass. And, um, but then I realized like there was so many things that happened because of that that I started to become even more self-aware and mm-hmm. and still continue. You know, I mean, obviously I have my bad days. Everybody does, but um, 
continue to try and look at things differently. And realize that people, I'll give you, like you said, sometimes people will say things. So like I would show up on a call or a bad thing would happen. Let's say a critical incident would happen and I would show up. And one of my supervisors, when I showed up on one of these calls said, mama Tina's here. Well, I'm, I'm not a mom. I don't have kids. I, I don't want kids. And that really like, it pissed me off. And I was like, but if you show up, that's just you being a good supervisor, but when I show up, I'm babying them. These aren't my babies, you know? And so I said something to him about it and I said, please stop saying that. Like I, I can care about my people. It's not just because I'm a woman. It's because I care about my people. It has nothing to do with my sexual, my gender, you know? And when I said that, he was like, I, I never thought of it. I said, I know. I don't think you meant it in a negative thing. I thought, I think you meant it to be endearing, but I, it's not, it's not a good look. <laughs> yeah and he he was like but that was what I, that was one of the things that i had that was very fortunate is they they would listen when i would say that when i would say can you not say that and he was like well, tell me why and so i would tell him mm-hmm. why he's like okay that makes sense you know and then think of it that way yeah and it takes a lot for a person too to not get like standoffish like i said i didn't but to, for him to listen to you and then be like oh well yeah i can see how that would have made you feel xyz I mean, I think that takes that takes a lot for anybody, male or female, to acknowledge what they said may have been hurtful or taken out of context. And so I think that's great that you you acknowledge these issues of it was all about me, me, me getting here. And to uh, you said you went to a training and then to come back and realize, like, OK, the way I was handling this is not going to be sufficient forever. And it's not going to, you know, bode well, because I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you're talking about you came back and they said people wouldn't work for you if you got promoted and you're like well how many and then you're like okay wait a second <laughs> i'm right back to my old ways here if i'm like oh if it's only one person screw them i don't care if their feelings get hurt but to have that realization like okay that one person matters because they're at some shape form they're a big part of our big cog that we're working in and it takes them to make things turn too um so i think that was that takes a lot to have that self-evaluation. And then I'm sitting here, we've been talking about FOSS and all this stuff. I'm wondering, you know, had you not made that change, what would your class look like? You know, would women um, be like, oh, don't go to that. All she does is yell and scream. Like, it's more stressful than going to work. Like, don't even sign up for that. So I think it's, you know, wondering how, you know, yeah, it had an impact, but what, how large of an impact did that one class and that changing of your mentality have on your career and, you know, post-retirement and pre-retirement, stuff like that. Definitely, definitely did. I mean, I ended up, you know, getting promoted to lieutenant shortly thereafter that class and then eventually ended up becoming, uh, getting promoted to a captain level. And I was the only, like, only female captain that uh, the police department had, had ever had and still has. They, they didn't promote to that position. Um, <laughs> and, and I celebrate that. And that's what I think, it's also giving women permission to celebrate that difference and to say, like, I can celebrate and say I was proud to be the first and only female captain at that police department. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of that. Um, and making sure that other women are proud of that. It was, we have, I have one of the false instructors. She's a canine officer, and she's been a canine bomb officer for, like, six or seven years. And I ended up going back and, like, researching, and she was the first bomb, female bomb canine handler in the state, and she didn't even know it. Because we don't, yeah. we don't celebrate that. That's like no, it's, you know, let's not celebrate that. And I think just I think we need to start celebrating that. That's okay. It's okay to say that. I think it's important. It's important. It's impactful for other women to see women in those positions. Um, and so we've got to be okay with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like you keep saying, see women in those positions. That's a big part of why I wanted to start this podcast. Is you know we need to there's. Only 11% of us, you said there's only a small amount of women that are chiefs and deputy chiefs in the state. And so the idea of this podcast is to talk to women that have done these things to, like, learn from them. You said you were the first captain at your police department. Why wouldn't I want to know what you did and how you did it to get there? Why wouldn't I want to talk to you and learn from you? So that's a big part of why I'm wanting to do this podcast is got to learn from those that have been there. Like you said, play the game. I can't play the game if I don't know the game. 
So I can't start playing unless someone breaks down the rules to me and I start to learn from those that have already played it and beat it or are winning at it. You know, I don't want to talk to learn from the wrong players, you know, the losers, and they're salty and hate this career and they hate everything about it. That's not who you want to learn from. I think that also comes from surrounding yourself with positive people that have the same goals and aspirations as yourself. So I think that says a lot when you keep, you know, talking about playing the game and learning. You know, why aren't we? She's a great example. You want to be a canine officer in the States? Like, reach out to her. Ask her what she did, how she... What was it like going to the training? Because what is it? It's three months in Alabama. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. How, how did you handle that as a female? How was that leaving home? You know, I don't know if she has kids, but. She didn't. Uh, she does not. Okay. I was about to say, a female officer with kids, you may ask her, like, how did you handle being away for three months? You know? So I think that's awesome that you have her there. You said she's an instructor with y'all. Mm-hmm. So that's a great resource to have for when other females go that are interested in being a canine officer. So talking about, you know, canine and finding women that have the same goals and aspirations as yourself, who would you say some of your mentors were to get you to the point you are? And then, you know, do you think they're important for us to have females to have mentors? And then I think, you know, do you think it's okay for females to have mentors that are male officers? Or do you think we need to alert, try to have more female oriented mentors? I think it's an interesting question because I also think sometimes we don't know who our mentors are until many, many years later. Like we don't even realize that that's what's happening. Um, I, I can't believe that we don't have formal mentoring programs in law enforcement. Like most of the bigger corporations do. Um, Google, Microsoft, you know, they have mentoring programs. You're assigned a mentor and that's your mentor. Um, and we don't do that in law enforcement. Um, so it's interesting to me that we don't do more of it. Um, but my mentors, I probably, as far as my career, I had two. Um, and they were both male. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't think, um, I don't think it has to be a female. Um, one of them is probably more of a feminist than I could ever be. <laughs> like he's got two daughters and a wife. And, um, he, um, and, and he'll tell you that. Um, but I think the my other mentor who was my first my second lieutenant um when I was at city of Casey ended up being the chief there um I don't think I realized that that's what he was doing until much later and um we're still you know friends now he's now a keynote speaker he goes around the country and talks about leadership and mental health he's struggled a lot with that they had a really bad case where a child was abducted and murdered um they swept like it made national news and um, that affected him very very deeply in his whole department um and so he talks about that not just like the case and because the case was very odd so it's i don't want to say entertaining that sounds horrible but it's very intriguing um and so he talks about the case but then he also talks about what what are the effects of things like that when it happens to your department um and mm-hmm. you're not prepared and you haven't prepared or you haven't done um what should have done to build a team that is resilient um and so he he's in byron um, and then my other mentor was, ended up being my major and he is, he pushed me, I don't say to be smarter, that sounds bad, but to read more, um, mm-hmm. to be a better writer. Um, I don't write well. Um, and so that was one of the things was, you know, education. I ended up getting, it took me 15 years to get my bachelor's degree, but, um, but I did it. And, um, that was his thing was, you know, education. You have to educate yourself. You have to keep, you know, keep up on all of the trends on training, you know, know, know your craft. Don't, not just because you want to know it, but because you, that's your duty as a police officer. Um, so don't just know that you can do something, know you can do it, but then to be able to explain why, why you can, um, and be able to explain it in a way that translates. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and so the question is, do I think we need to mentor more? Yes, I do. I think, I think it's just tough. You know, you have FTOs where really an FTO's responsibility is to score someone, you know, evaluate their performance. But that's not what a mentor is. But the other thing is we can't look at cops and say, hey, go mentor them, you know, go be their mentor. But then we don't teach someone how to do that, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. And we do that a lot, like go do that and then 
gets messed up. And then we're like, oh, well, never mind. Mentoring is stupid. You know, we don't ever have it, you know, and that's what we do. Not do it ever again. <laughs> um, so then that just has a negative impact on the officer that was asked to mentor, but then the person that we're trying to be mentored. And so it just, you know, turns into this bad thing again. Like we said, something that's mm-hmm. supposed to be good would turn into bad because um, we don't do it right. We just kind of, let's just do this and see what happens. And it's, it's not good. Um, so I think we need more mentoring. I think. I think it is really cool to have someone that's very different than you. Um, I've never, I when I left uh, the last police department I worked for, I had one of the sergeants call me, and we are not the same. Like, we are very different. Um, like, his personality is totally different than mine. Um, and he said, well, he asked me, like, formally, will you be my mentor? And I thought, well, that's an odd question. Like, I think that's how this worked, right? But then I thought, well, that makes sense. Like, because he had questions about things that he never asked because it's like, if it's the wrong question, I'm going to get in trouble, right? Or, you know, somebody's going to, you know, say something or, and it, because I didn't work there anymore, he didn't have to worry about that. So I also think it also doesn't have to be somebody in your department. Mm-hmm. Um, and just finding someone that is like smarter than you, <laughs> I feel like. No, yeah. But like, that, knows things that you don't but then also like it's a totally different personality than you so when you say something you're like oh I never thought of that and just being there um we check in and then I don't talk to him all the time but I'll text him be like how are things going you know things like that and um you know ask about his family and um because sometimes when you work at a place um you don't feel that connection sometimes or that support Mm -hmm. I know I know for a lot of departments, what I heard, and this is interesting, but like when all this stuff happened with George Floyd, you know, it was the start of the pandemic um, and the command staff would come down to roll call or whatever. And they would talk about pandemic like five, six times. Like, are we doing COVID protocols? Like they were all up in the COVID protocol, you know, stuff. But not one time did they ever talk to them about what are their feelings on George Floyd? How are we talking about these protests? Um, and that was interesting to me. And I heard that from many police officers from all over. Um, and I think it's because they don't want to mess it up. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they, they don't want to say something wrong, you know. Um, and so also, you know, training leadership and supervision um, on more self-awareness. Um, but also, like, how to have those conversations, you know, um, and do it in a way that, when you leave, it's actually better than when you started the conversation instead of the opposite, which is you go in and you, you know, um, which is what I've seen happen. And then now the conversations aren't being had at all. Yeah. I would think during the George Floyd and COVID, there was the incident that happened in Atlanta where the guy stole the taser and the officer used deadly force. I know a lot of our guys, we talked about it, especially seeing what happened to that officer you know, we had a lot of discussions, and I guess our command staff caught wind of us having, you know, I don't, I don't know who went up there and said, hey, I think, you know, patrols, they're expressing some concerns and, you know, wanting to know what's the deal, like, is there, you know, the more the news isn't putting out that we're not seeing, like, just some concerns and issues, and they're expressing this, and I, I mean, our command staff came down and talked to us and was like, you know, we can't answer for what's happening there, but, you know, we you know, we see what y'all are seeing as well. And, you know, you need to do your job and make sure y'all go home safely. Like, you know, we know how the use of force continuum works. So, you know, don't, you know, they were not telling us to stay off of social media, but they were kind of like, be mindful of what you're reading is, you know, these, some of the stuff that's being said, they don't know what we operate under. Right. And so I think it was nice, you know, that they, one, heard about it and didn't just say, okay, well, they're fine. Like, they'll get over it, it'll blow over, mm-hmm. but to come down and actually sit down and talk to us for a little bit, you know, granted, they couldn't answer questions of what happened in Atlanta, you know, why that officer was going through X, Y, Z, but just for them to come down and take the time to say, like, hey, what do y'all have, like, talk to us. That's awesome. I think, like you said, that takes a lot to acknowledge it, not just to come down and be like, we saw on camera, no one's wearing their mask, like, you know, there's so many things they could have, but acknowledging that we were showing concern and had some stress about what just happened there? I mean, because it it seemed like we just twenty twenty was just a ball that just like a snowball kept rolling and growing, and it was just 
you know, COVID and then Floyd and then Atlanta. And it's just like, it was it's never hard. ending. And for officers, you know, all over the country, those that we were all affected. I mean, everybody, not just officers, but everybody at some point had some emotions or feelings or some connections to everything that was happening. I think it was very stressful on everybody, not just the law enforcement community. I'm talking everybody. So I think it takes a lot to come down and talk about that because those that work protest in big cities, I mean, you were doing your job and you probably got people, I mean, we saw it on the spitting, calling you names, telling you to go kill yourself. Like, it was just a, 2020 was a horrible year. <laughs> it was, absolutely. But I think we did see, you know, some, like, some acknowledging that we need, like, there's more to it than... I think what came out of 2020 was commands I've seen, like, it's a lot more guys are going through. Because then I think we've started to see this shift in, you know, acknowledging mental health issues, acknowledging that we, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. I think really started coming out of 2020, which I think is a great thing <laughs> that we're finally acknowledging some of these issues that we have. I think we all know usually good, you know, bad things happen, but that's when change happens. Yeah. You want to talk about uh, some balance with life and work, work-life balance? Sure. Um, I um, don't, don't, didn't have kids, so it's totally different for me um, than it would be for an officer that does have kids. But I think that also comes into play. I had a, a captain from a pretty big sheriff's office call me, and he said, and we're friends, but he said, like, how come I don't have any, of the, any women putting in for these promotional opportunities? Um, like, he's like, I can't, I want them to be supervisors. They'll be good, but they're not putting in. And I, so I paused him for a second. I said, well, how many of them have kids or are single moms? And he's like, didn't think of that. And you're right. All of them are. Um, and so understanding that sometimes your family, your, your family's always got to come first. And that's one of the things I would say, mm-hmm. um, because when you retire from this job, there's none, no, none of your coworkers are going to be hanging out with you anymore. Um, it is the people that you love the most, and that's your family. And understanding that, yes, you have a job to do, but at the end of the day, your family loves you, and they need you, and they need you to be part of the family. Um, and so understanding that and understanding that what – so one of the questions you have on there is books. So there's a book called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement and Their Families. And that is a must read for any police officer and their families. We we used to give it to someone when they started FPO. Um, and they were supposed to read it. And that's funny because they never did. And I would say um, when they were done with FPO, they had a test. And one of the questions was based on the book. And, of course, they couldn't answer the question. And I said, okay, do you read it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, that belt you have on, what did you do with the things on your belt? Did I just hand you the belt and you just didn't do anything? You didn't shoot, didn't train. And they're like, no, of course we trained. You did handcuffing, you did shooting, you know, OC, all this stuff. So we trained with that belt. Um, I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, well, none of that stuff matters. Unless this is okay. And I said, so, and for that to be okay, your relationships have got to be solid. Your relationships to the people that are around you. And that that takes time. If you're never home, those things are not going to be solid. Um, but understanding why you're not home. And there's something called a biological roller coaster and hypervigilance and all that stuff is in that book. And it explains it. And it explains why we are the way we are. Cops are. And I think it's a must read. Um, I didn't read it, I think, until I was like in my seventh year in law enforcement. So I was like, oh my God, why did I not read this so long ago? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's an older book, and it's written in like 2020. So it's not like it was just written yesterday. Um, but there are, there are a lot of cops who've never read it. And then, but then when I teach it, I, you know, I train on it and I explain what it is, they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Um, because some people don't like reading either. So, um, so I would say Which... when it comes to work life balance, to me, my husband doesn't like to read either, but I think now with audible, like audible books, there's no, like you can find it out there. It's just a matter of like, you got to listen to it at this point. If you're not going to read it, there's definitely ways for you to listen to it. Cause, um, I read it in 2020 and I remember it took me forever 
to get the book because in 2020, it was like everybody was going out and getting it. It's like it was sold out on Amazon for like three months. Oh, so I was huh. like, yeah, it was it was crazy because I was reading it like it was a peak sale point was 2020. And I was like, that probably says a lot because we were going through a lot of mental stuff in 2020. Like you can't go nowhere. You don't know what, you know, you're stressed about. Am I going to be able to go to the supermarket next week or am I going to be quarantined again? Like mm-hmm. just stuff like that. So I was like, I read it in 2020 and I still have a copy of it. And I tell anybody if they need it, they can read it. Because I'm like you, it had, it wasn't until I was reading it and sitting there that I was like, well, yeah, that's totally me. Like, I come home some days and I just, I don't know why I'm tired or why I don't want to talk to anybody. But reading that book, I'm like, okay, that's because I just went through this holy moly of a roller coaster all day for 12 hours. And now I'm trying to come home and, you know, I just want to sit. I was like, I think the part that really stuck with me was you want to sit in your chair. The magic chair. I was like, oh, that's totally me. I come home and I want to sit in my spot and watch TV. So it took some of that, again, self-evaluation to break some of those things that I was doing that were that were not going to continue to be a healthy thing for me to to do. So. So that's your work-life balance, right? Is realizing that this is a job, but it's a job. This is not who you are. It's what you do. And I think sometimes we like put on this cloak of blue line flag and we're like oh, you know and it's like no you're getting paid to do a job mm-hmm. you know it's not who you are it's not um and the people who love you the most are not going to sit around and be treated like shit for 20 something years and then all of a sudden be there when you retire they're not going to wait they're not going to do it um so understanding that the people who love you the most are the ones that need you the most and yeah. you have a job to do do your job but go home I think feeding off of that two things when you were talking that instantly popped in my mind. I can't remember where I've read it, but there's a book and it discusses once you leave somewhere, the place will still run. Mm-hmm. Like if I left my job today, will they be short? Yeah, they're going to be short for like two weeks and then my spot will be replaced. And then every new officer that will come in, they'll be like, well, who's, whose locker is this? And they're like, oh, well, that's Morgan. She left here like a few months ago. That's it. You're just now a, an officer that left a few months ago. The place doesn't stop running. They're not going to call you and be like, we can't function without you. Like, and I think that took a lot for me to be like, as important as you like to think you are, and you are, but you're not important to your job to the point where that place will shut down when you leave. And I think sometimes humbling yourself and realizing that takes a lot. And then another thing when you were talking that instantly popped in my mind is I read a lot of stoic stuff. So a lot of Ryan Holiday's books, Marcus Aurelius, stuff like that. I'm really into stoicism. The idea, like, don't create your personality and who you are around something that can be taken away. It's like you're saying, don't make law enforcement who you are. Because, I mean, you can get fired, you can leave for other reasons, you could get medically retired, and then that's gone. What you've created, your whole personality, your whole being about is no longer a thing for you. And then that's going to put you in a really, really bad place. And then by then, like you said, you run off the ones that loved you and you got no one there to pick you up. So yeah, those are the two things that popped in my mind instantly when you started talking about it's okay to be passionate and enjoy learning and teaching about something, but it's another to make that who you are. That's not who you are type thing. And I had secretly somebody message me after I retired and said something about like, I'm so glad to see you're still you know, doing badass things or something. And I was like, well, I wasn't a badass because I was a cop. Badass because I'm a badass, you know? Like, you know, that's what I said. And they <laughs> Don't get it twisted. Me, you know? And, um, I mean, I struggled a little bit with still teaching female officer survival knowing I'm not currently a police officer, but, you know, but then I talked to people about it and I said, do, do I need to, should I stop? And they were all like, absolutely not. Like, it's not like you retired 15 years ago. Um, it's not like you're the only one up there teaching. You have a cadre of instructors who are current law enforcement officers around the state. And, you know, and they don't know what you know. Um, they could regurgitate it just because they've heard you say it, but it's different. Um, and so, so I was like, well, I guess I'll just keep teaching it until, until I don't. <laughs> yeah. And I think, too, it goes back to you talking about your mentor telling you to stay up to date with stuff. You know, even though you're not in it, I feel like you probably still read and learn 
about the current trends and what's happening and I think you know, from just talking to you you're not you're not like the well this is how we used to do it or this is how I did it I mean we'll be teaching something and somebody will say well what about this way and I'll be like I don't know let's try it did it work better if it works better let's do that I mean I, you know you know so no I'm definitely not a let's just do it that way because we've always done it that way kind of gal all right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of good stuff today. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I'm done. No. Okay, guys. Again, like I said, we're going to have all of Tina's stuff attached to social media, uh, the little notes for the podcast. It's going to be on there. Um, please go give her a like and follow. She's got great stuff out there. Go to her class. Uh, unfortunately, I have yet to make it to your class. Oh, no. It is on my list of training for 2023, so I've already looked at the dates you released uh, a couple weeks ago for 2023. So I'm going to try to get in to one of those classes. I'm Every time I see it, I'm like, man, I got to get in there. It's just like every time I've had a date, it's either, um, you're talking about only having a few females on a team. It's like we, the other female was going. I'm like, well, it. So now I'm like, I'm the only female on my team. I'm like, I'm putting in for 2023. I'm gonna make it my goal to get in one of your classes because I've heard. I remember this. See, this would have been 2019. I went to a Valor training before I even gone to the academy. Like I was hadn't been at my department for maybe two or three weeks when they sent us to this training, and I had a female in that class walk up to me and she told me she's like, whatever training you do, it needs to be FOSS. And she's like, Tina oh. teaches it. She's like, it's amazing. And so. I was like, I got to get in that class. And then turned out Tina actually worked at the department I worked at, work at now. So I was like, now I really got to get in that class. <laughs> but in money yeah, and, guys, and everything have been, so yeah, but we'll get, we'll get you. Yeah. We'll get, I'll get there. It's not a, not a concern. I'll be there 2023. So if you follow, you'll yeah. see me on our social media out there fighting. Um, but y'all have a good one. Have a good new year's. Uh, be checking in hopefully this not hopefully this one will be going out January 9th and then we'll have another one next month we'll see who I can get on here and ask some more questions but y'all have a good one be safe